0: Good morning, Uh, my name is Matt, I'm the lead pastor here, Uh, welcome here again as we start this new series called Please, Sorry, Thanks. And these are three words that will change your life. It'll change your relationships. Uh, if you learn to incorporate these three words into your relationships, uh, there's a lot of things that are gonna go better for you. But some of us have a hard time uh, asking for things. We're independent, we're, we're strong. We like to do things on our own strength. And so we have a hard time saying please. Uh, some of us have a hard time recognizing when we've done something wrong and swallowing our pride and coming in humility and saying sorry. Uh, and some of us have a hard time with gratitude and appreciation and saying thanks, particularly if things in our life haven't gone the way that we wanted them to. Things have taken a sideways turn. How do we live with the posture of gratitude and thankfulness? And if we can learn to live in these uh, three postures, it's going to change a lot of things in our lives. That's true of our relationships with other people, but it's also true of our relationship with God. And as we go through this series, I want to look at these three words and think about how would this impact the relationship with God if we came with a posture of please, sorry, and thanks? And please uh, is what we're looking at today, and this is. Uh, A word that we could see throughout the scriptures where people come to God asking God for things and Hannah asked God for a son Solomon asked God for wisdom Elijah asked God to send fire down from heaven Uh, there's stories in the New Testament uh, with encounters with Jesus where lame people and people that have been bleeding for 12 years and they don't they're desperate and they don't know what to do they come to Jesus and they say please and they ask Jesus for things and we see Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane struggling asking God for help asking God for help is part of the Christian experience. It is part of the experience of learning to follow God, love God, honor God. Uh, But many of us actually don't ask. We're not aware of how infrequently we ask. And if we do ask, maybe we only ask one time. Uh, And I think many of us who call ourselves Christians or Christ followers, uh, even though we might call ourselves that, we actually live as functional Buddhists. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. In Buddhism, uh, there's this, this journey to experiencing um, complete peace. And that journey to experiencing peace, the, the, the avenue in which they do that is to actually recognize where suffering comes from. So, uh, the Buddhist way of contentment and happiness is found in its understanding of suffering. If, If suffering is understood, and this is how they they define it, is desires that have been unmet equal suffering. And so when you have a longing, and that longing isn't fulfilled, the the sensation or the experience that we have is one of suffering. You know, it it helps us understand uh, the difference between Flames fans and Oilers fans, because Oilers fans have this expectation that their team is going to be great. And every year we hear the complaints of how much they're suffering. Whereas Flames fans, we have no expectations. And it's like, <laughs> oh, we did that well this year. That was awesome. Um, and the Oilers fans are crying. You know, So they, they're experiencing suffering because they have these expectations that Connor David is going to deliver them something that he just can't seem to bring. Uh, and then that equals suffering. So this helps us understand how the Buddhists... Understand suffering, and so if you have these desires, these longings, and they they aren't fulfilled, then we experience suffering. When you want health and you don't have health, then it's suffering. When you want comfort and you're experiencing discomfort, it's suffering. When you want to achieve something and you can't get there, it's suffering. When you want a thing, when you want a relationship... When you're longing for something and it doesn't happen, the gap in between those two experiences is suffering. And so the, the Buddhist response is really to eliminate desire. If we can eliminate desire and eliminate longing, then the result is that we're not going to experience suffering. And so the journey is one of learning to let go of our wants and let go of our longings, let go of our desires, and hopefully find this peace, this, this posture of peace, this experience of peace. And in the process, we eliminate the things that we want. And I think this is a learned response that followers of Jesus start to do maybe unintentionally over time as well. When we want something and we've asked for it and we don't get it, it creates disappointment, it creates suffering, it creates grief. This gap between, uh, it leaves us in this tension of what to do with it. And so we start to think, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop asking. I'm going to stop asking. I'm going to stop wanting. I'm going to stop longing for something because the experience of that gap is too much. Because desire unmet equals tension. And the question is, what do we do with that tension? Do we take that Buddhist posture and say, hey, I'm just going to get rid of desires and longings and try and live my life without want? Desire, the word desire is actually comes from the Latin word de and which means of the Father. Which I think is really cool because it's it's really telling us that our longings at the deepest level come from God the Father. And if our longings at our deepest level come from God the Father, then that tension in some way is really, really important. And to get rid of that tension, I think, is to get rid of something that means to be human and something that means to be made in God's image and to follow God and his longings that he's put in our heart. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you are actually called to live in tension. And your invitation is not to let go of longings and desires, but learn how to live in the tension because the the tension, we just talked about this for the whole series that we just finished when we went through the book of Revelation about this victory, this kingdom, this this future that is secured, but we live in a kingdom that is here and not yet where we're longing for God to fulfill what he already started, but we are in this place in between. So there's a gap between what will be and what is. And the question is, how do we live in that gap? How do we live in the here and the not yet, in the gap in between? And part of that actually influences our experience of prayer and how we understand prayer and how we come to God and we ask God for things. And so we're looking at the word please. How do we ask God for things that we want? How do we approach God when we have desires and longings? Well, Jesus, after he gives his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, actually tells us. And he goes on to tell us in a number of ways, and it's quite unanimous in in the posture that he wants us to come before God with in petition and prayer. And he he says in Matthew 7, he says, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now pause and think about this for a second, because God is all-knowing, God is all-loving, God is all-powerful, he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, but Ironically, God is asking us to ask. God is asking us to ask. He's asking us to ask for good fit, good gifts. He's communicating that even though God is all loving, all powerful that he can do anything he wants, there's a role that we have to play. There's something important about asking. There must be something important about us asking for our sakes. There must be something about asking that is for our benefit. Um, I remember, if you remember, there's a story in Mark chapter 10, where there's this blind guy and Jesus, uh, the blind guy comes to Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want? And obviously the guy wants to be healed, but Jesus wants him to ask for the healing because there's something about us taking a posture of asking that changes our experience. And so I think Jesus comes to all of us in some form and says, what do you want? What do you really want? I want you to ask me. So why don't we ask? Why don't we ask more often? Why do we only ask once? Or why are we afraid to ask? Well, some of us, it's because we have wrong beliefs. We don't really believe that God is good, that God wants good things for us. We believe that God is out to get us. We don't realize that we're sons and daughters of God, and we don't know the promises that are in the scriptures. And so there's there's wrong beliefs that we have that are influencing our inability to ask God. For some of us, we have a distorted perspective perspective. We underestimate what God can do, and we actually overestimate probably what we can do. And the last four years have shown us that we are less in control than we think we are. That we don't have control over our human experiences or what's happening to us than, than we think. And so most of our lives, we live under this, this kind of facade that we're more in control than we are. And so we have a distorted, distorted perspective that we are more dependent on God than we actually think we are. Some of us have had bad experiences that didn't work out. We asked and we felt burned. Maybe you've asked God for something in the past, you didn't get it. And chances are you weren't just simply asking God for a good parking stall at the grocery store, but you were asking God for something really important for healing for yourself or for somebody else that you really loved. And God didn't show up in the way that you thought he would and the healing didn't happen. And so there was uh, disappointment and hurt. So we don't ask. And maybe now because of those bad experiences, we resent God, or maybe we feel like our faith is so fragile. If I ask God again and he doesn't show up again, what's that going to do to my faith? Or maybe we're afraid of asking on somebody else's behalf, because what if I say I'm praying for you and then God doesn't do anything? And what about their faith? Maybe we feel like we've got to protect God, that we're God's, you know, we're God's PR department and we're trying to protect God and his reputation, there's all these things that happen out of these bad experiences that change how we ask God. Maybe there's a lack of knowledge. We don't know how to pray or how to enter that space with God or what's appropriate to ask about. Maybe we haven't really learned how God wants us to ask him. And Jesus actually teaches us how to ask God, what kind of posture to take. So again, when we look at Matthew 7, it says, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And in the original language, the Greek language that this was written in, uh, these are verbs that are written in the, what they call the present imperative form, which means that they are ongoing present words. So it's not an ask one time, seek one time, knock one time. It's a, it's a keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That's the sense of these three words. And so if you can remember, if, if you've had kids in your house, maybe you've had kids yourself. And they've asked you for things in the past. You know how this goes. I mean, I can remember, my boys are now 16, uh, 15 this week, and 13. But I can remember a time uh, where they, you know, would want a snack. And they would come into the kitchen and say, I want a snack. I'd say, no. And they'd go uh, away, and then they'd come back again, and they say, I want a snack. I said, I told you, No. And then they say, again, I want a snack. And so it goes from like asking, and now they're seeking, seeking, seeking. I'm like, come on. And then they go to the pantry door, and they start banging on the door, and they're knocking, and they're knocking. And finally, I cave in. I mean, a week ago when this happened, I just caved in. And I said, fine. This is the sense of the words, like, Keep asking, keep knocking. And so this is the first of the two prayer, what I'm calling prayer petition principles that Jesus gives a number of times in the gospels. And that is to pray with persistence, to not stop asking. Don't ask one time, keep asking. Don't seek one time, keep seeking. Don't knock one time, keep knocking. So after Jesus tells us the importance of persistence, he now goes on and he says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everybody say that together. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus compares the heavenly father to our earthly fathers. And he says, if your kid asked you, as a father for a piece of bread, would you give him a stone? You who are not a perfect father, you wouldn't give him a stone. What kind of distorted human being would give their kid a stone? What kind of, what kind of dad? And I'm thinking to myself I'm, as I'm reading this, I can remember when my kids would ask for food when they were little kids, and I would give them, uh, you know, as toddlers, and I would give them limes to suck on uh, and watch their faces, and uh, I had a good time out of that. So I'm like a distorted parent. Uh, but Jesus is saying... If you as earthly fathers, most of the time, when your kids ask you for something good, you're going to give them something good. How much more? Jesus compares God in heaven to an average dad. And he said, even the average dads get this right most of the time. But your heavenly father is perfect and he's good. How much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so this leads us to the second principle that we see over and over again in the teaching of Jesus is to pray with persistence, yes, but also pray with confidence in God's character. Do we really believe that God is good, that God's a good father and that he's sovereign, that he will withhold no good thing from his kids? Every person in Christ is a fully adopted son and daughter of God that can come to God like their dad and trust in the confidence of his character that he is good. Do we pray like we believe that? And so Jesus teaches us these principles in Matthew 7, but he teaches us in a number of places through different, uh, different stories, different pictures. Uh, one of them in Luke 11, and some scholars believe that the two stories I'm going to share with you um, probably happened back to back as Jesus was teaching about these same principles. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Because of your shameless audacity, the same concept as persistence, because of your persistence. We read this story and we're a little bit out of of touch because we think the rude person in the story is the one who's there at night knocking on the door. But in the first century, that's not how they would understand the rudeness. The impoliteness, the rudeness is actually the homeowner. The homeowner who's hearing the knocking in, the, in, that, in that time in the first century, if someone came to you with the need and you were to ignore them, that would be extremely rude. So for Jesus' listeners to hear there is a man who wouldn't help or wouldn't want to help is absolutely appalling. There's this shameless persistence. And the audience would have heard this and been like, of course. Of course, the person who's in the house, it would be their duty, their obligation, their responsibility that they would take on themselves to respond to this shameless audacity. Jesus tells a very similar story again in Luke 18. He says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Again, you can read persistence, always pray and not give up. And he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Because this widow keeps bothering me. In the New Living Translation, it says, but this woman is driving me crazy. And actually, in the original Greek language, the word that's being used is comes out of like a a fighting word, like a boxing term. It literally means she's going to knock me out. And I think that's actually a good picture of prayer. Prayer is like going back into the ring for one more round with God. It's persistence. It's fighting. Not that you're fighting with God, but you're fighting under the conviction that God is a good God and he's invited me to ask and to persist. And so we get back into the ring. It reminds me of the story in the Old Testament when Jacob wrestled the angel throughout the night and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And he fought him till daybreak. And And then when day broke in, God named Jacob, renamed Jacob Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. Because Jacob wrestled with God through the night. Sometimes prayer is the willingness to go another round with God. The willingness to wrestle with God until daybreak. To wrestle with God through the night. To ask and to wrestle and to fight and to fight. And say, I'm not going to let go. It's like the friends who love who loved their friend so much that they were willing to fight through the ground and break open the roof and drop their friend at the feet of Jesus. They were persistent. It's like the woman who broke every societal norm to get in front of Jesus to wash his feet with her hair. It's like the Canaanite woman who comes asking Jesus for help. And Jesus says, I came for the Israelites. It's not right to feed the dogs, but she wouldn't let that deter her. And she said, she stayed persistent. And then God said, because of your persistence, because of your faith, your daughter is healed. All three of these stories that Jesus is telling, or all three of these teachings in Matthew 7 and Luke 11 and Luke 18, they're telling us the same thing over and over and over again. Let's pray with persistence and pray with confidence in God's character. Because what Jesus realized was his followers were approaching God like he wasn't a trustworthy friend or a just judge. Jesus correcting these false understandings that, he, that they had. He tells these stories with exaggerated characters and personalities to show how out of whack their view of God's character was. And of course, he's not an untrustworthy friend or an evil judge. How much more? How much more will God help you? How much more is God a trustworthy friend? How much more is God a righteous judge? How much more is God a loving father who loves to give good gifts to his kids? What we think about God is the most important thing because what we think about God impacts how we relate to God. What, kind, what, what comes to mind when we think about God frames how we view the world, ourselves, and those around us. We can pray with persistence and confidence when we have the right thinking about who God is and what he's like. And so many of us, as we start to understand this, we get to this point of thinking, okay, but I've done this, I've done this in the past. I've prayed with persistence and don't you have to pray in God's will? We know from our experience that God doesn't always give us what we want. We know from scriptures that God doesn't always give the people what they want. And for sure, there's this this, uh, perspective and understanding that what we think are good gifts and what God thinks are good gifts may be very, very different things. And that's true. And so there's this tension even in this but often overthinking this leads us to a state of paralysis and we run the risk of not praying at all. And I think sometimes we need to worry less about the results. Maybe we're worry less about how does this even work theologically If God's all powerful, all loving, and he's asking us to ask. And you know, it just leads us to a place of being overwhelmed. And very simply, Jesus is saying, ask, ask, it's not rocket science, and we don't understand how it all works. But he's telling us to ask and have confidence in what God is like. Like Our biggest problem is not that we're praying outside of God's will, I believe, but our biggest problem is that we stop praying at all. We stop asking at all. And if I can be brutally honest for a moment, this is a temptation and a struggle that I've had in the last few, year, few years. I've had a hard time with this persistent faith over the last couple of years because I feel like I've gotten tired of asking. We've had some dear friends personally in our lives that have passed away in our church as well. And in many of those situations, it felt like it was too soon. And in in all the situations, we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we asked and we asked and we asked. I remember talking with some of you as we were processing the losses of our friends over these last couple of years and, um, and it was a hallway conversation I was having with someone. And I, I said, I don't think I'd ever say this from stage. Well, here I am. Um, but I'm just like, come on, God, can't you just heal one of them? I remember saying this, can't you just heal one of them? I mean, it was person after person that we were losing in what seemed like ingest situations. And so we asked and we prayed and we asked and nothing I shouldn't say nothing, because there was temporary healings that happened. But the, but what we were hoping and what we were expecting didn't happen. And so that's the human experience. That's the, the tension that we feel. And so we live in this gap. And I had a choice to make, and I still have a choice to make, and so do you. In light of this gap, in light of our experiences, in light of asking God... In light of the truth that God is all loving and God is sovereign and he's told us to ask, is this some cruel game that he's asking us to play that we would keep asking? There's a gap between how we believe things ought to be and how they are. There's a longing and a desire that I think God has put in our hearts. And so we're living in that tension and we're living in that disappointment. Do we take the the posture of the Buddhist and say, I'm going to stop asking, I'm going to stop longing, I'm going to stop wanting? Do we get bitter? Do we get resentful? Do we lose faith? Do you turn off your heart and just become that functional Buddhist, like I said, and not desire anything? Or do we have the audacity and the courage to believe that Jesus, knowing all of these things that we're feeling, all of these tensions and gaps that he himself walked through when he was on earth, told us to keep asking anyways, told us to keep trusting anyways. And he doesn't tell us the mystery of how it all works but he tells us that God is a loving father. He tells us to keep persisting, to keep asking. And so I wonder if saying please with God has less to do with having good manners and saying please God, and it has more to do with being persistent even to the point of being annoying and even irreverent. As irreverent as it feels, it seems to me like the overriding message of Jesus when he's teaching us about asking God is this, Don't be polite, be persistent. Don't be polite, be persistent. Can you say that with me? Don't be polite, be persistent. Don't worry about getting it right. Don't worry about, am I going to offend God? Don't like, these are the starts of the thing. Don't worry about, am I praying in the will of God? If, If you have a desire or a longing, ask God, ask God, ask God, trust God's character. Don't be polite, be persistent. Don't let the fear of being disappointed stop you from asking. Don't let the fear of the idea that God is in control stop you from asking. He wants you to ask and he's called us to ask. Don't let the painful and hard experiences that you've had in the past stop you from asking because the message is clear. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep knocking. Don't stop. I don't know what asks and longings that you have in your heart or things that you're wrestling through, but I know we walk in, all of us, with, uh, with things that are on our hearts. And it's tempting to give up. But I want to encourage you just to keep saying please, to keep asking, and to keep believing that God is a good father who loves to give good gifts to his kids we anchor ourselves in the scriptures and what Jesus taught us, knowing that there's a mystery of things we don't understand. And so as we seek to kind of walk this out, I want to invite you as we close, as we sing this last song, to come to the communion table. Because the communion table represents the greatest gift that God has ever given us, that he's already supplied for us. This is life in relationship with Him. This is grace enough for all of us, no matter where you are, what you've done, where you're coming from, what your story is. Jesus has already supplied the forgiveness, the grace, and the life, and He invites us to come. He invites us to receive. And so we come with the tension, we come with the gaps that we're experiencing. The author of Hebrews told us that because of what Jesus has done, we can come to the throne of God with confidence. And we can ask. So I invite you this morning whatever tension, whatever gaps you have, whatever ask you feel like is on your heart, and you're like, I'm not sure I can keep asking, keep bringing it, keep asking. Bring that tension to the communion table and receive what Jesus has already purchased for us, which is life in his name, today and forever, which is grace and forgiveness, which is relationship. Which is the ability to have confidence that we can keep going to this holy God in irreverent posture of being persistent and almost annoying and saying, I'm going to keep asking God because you're my dad. You're my dad and I can keep asking. So as the band plays this uh, final song, we got four stations. Uh, and if you are someone uh, that would love, that, that has chosen... To follow Jesus, to give your life to Jesus, we invite you to the table. It's an open table. And as you come to the table, the servers there will say, This is the body of Christ broken for you. And they'll say, This is the blood of Jesus that was spilled for you. And then I invite you at any point during the worship time to take those elements on your own and receive them in thankfulness because of what Jesus has done. So, Jesus, we thank you uh, that you know the tension. We thank you that you know the tension that each of us are sitting in this room with, that are sitting at home with, the longings that we have, the disappointments in our past that we have, and yet you tell us to keep asking, to keep seeking, to keep knocking. And we thank you because of what you've done on the cross that we can come to your throne with confidence and just come to you like you're our dad because you are our dad. And so we ask and we receive. We thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you that you took the penalty of our own sinfulness onto yourself and absorbed that sin and welcomed us with open arms. We thank you the blood that was spilt that represents this new covenant of relationship that you've invited us to. So Lord, we come to your table and we receive again. And we thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, last Wednesday, um, so we have a staff meeting, uh, you guys can have a seat for, for a second. We have a staff meeting every Wednesday morning, and, uh, and so we were you know, having our, our staff meeting, there was a youth event that was happening in the afternoon, and so I brought my kids uh, to